Welcome to The Modern White Man, the podcast where myself, Ken Lawrence, and me, Paul Johnson, discuss how to be a modern white man who is anti-racist, anti-sexist, and understands his role in creating an equitable society. We unpack our identity as white men by having honest, open, and sometimes difficult and uncomfortable conversations about being a white man, where we come from, our place in today's society, and roles to play moving forward as allies, leaders, and individuals who care about creating an equitable society for all. All right, Paul, are you ready to start the identity process? Let's do it. All right, we're going to dig into pieces of history, which you know I love. And if you haven't listened to our intro episode, I do suggest checking that out quick. We explain why we're going to go through this process and why we think it's important specifically to unpack as white men. And this is going to be our first installment of that. Again, in that intro, we talked about the racial identity process And one of the vital components to that is understanding history. And specifically for race in our society, the history of this country, because there is a lot of racial history. So as you know by now with me, Paul, I love history. I am definitely what someone would call a history buff. You know, the evolution of humanity and our imperfection and our endless pursuit of perfection (laughs) is really fascinating to me. But I've also experienced the clarity that comes from knowing a bit of history. So, I mean, we got to where we are today because of everything we've done. And the better we understand that, the more we understand what led us to our current ecosystem, you know, what has worked well, and maybe most importantly, what hasn't worked well and ensure that we don't repeat the same mistakes. So let's start to look at the beginning of this. Why are there such differences between our races in this country? And it's more than just recognizing that slavery and segregation existed, but it's digging into the policies behind that. It's digging into, at a federal, local level, what has gone into play that has made the reality and the disparities exist. So what makes this whole process unique, again, is as we start to go through this, is that at the end of each of these episodes, we're going to unpack as white men. So the goal here, and we're going to talk about this a lot, is eliminating the idea of individual racism. We want to understand racism as institutional. Once you can take the individuality out of the idea of racism and you see it bigger, it's a powerful thing. And that's where you can really become confident in what you can do in your place in breaking that institution down. So in this episode, we are going to set the stage. You know, why is race even a factor in our society? And we're going to start at the very beginning. And you can't do that in this country without looking at slavery. And we are even going to start before slavery came to this country for the origins of race. Paul, did you think that there could possibly be someone who nailed down the origins of race? There has got to be. I never would have thought so. I was listening to another podcast called Scene White, which is a Mm. scene on radio podcast you and I have listened to. It's really good. And he talks with Ibram Kendi, who is the author of Stamp from the Beginning. And Kendi makes this compelling argument that literally identifies a single person who created the idea of race. And so I looked more into this after hearing the the podcast and how race even became a factor was in the early 1400s. So at this time, this was the beginning of the age of discovery when European powers, they started to extensively explore the world. And with that, they found new ways to expedite and expand the slave trade. So the slave trade up until this point Humanity has had slaves. And up until early 1400s, this is where they really were able to expedite this trade because they were able to go to different continents. They were able to put in different practices. And there was this Zerara. He chronicled this Portuguese prince, Henry the Navigator. And he was the first one to partake in an exclusive African slave trade. 
So what the Zerara did is he wrote this book for the public and it was about slave trade. And he portrayed Africans as inferior beings, as an inferior race. And the reason that they did this was to satisfy the moral uncertainty of slavery. So this is really interesting because I think intrinsically human beings can recognize that slavery is pretty immoral. This is a human being, they're in bondage, but they're working for free. And I don't know if I can have my practice without this free help, but there's still this moral uncertainty there. So what Zarara does is he says, all right, we we got all these different African ethnic groups. We have the slave trade going. And he subjected slavery into one inferior dark-skinned race. And he said that, hey, this is a race that really would benefit from being here. They'd benefit from being in a more civilized society. They would benefit from Christianity. Like, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. And so then people are like, oh, yeah, right? That makes sense. I think deep down, there's this still this immoral thing, but they just told themselves like, hey, this this dark-skinned human being are a lesser race than we are. And so what it started as and what it continued to be was economic. All of these European powers, they started to grow. They started to expand. And what did they need? They needed more slave labor. And to do that, there was this moral uncertainty about it. And they created a lesser race. And this guy, Zarara, took all of these African countries and grouped them together as an inferior dark-skinned race. So that's how race began. We weren't born with this idea. This was a social construct that you can link directly to reasoning behind it. We needed the economic support. We felt kind of bad about this, so we have to make it work for us. With all of these slaves that came started coming from Africa directly, so too with it came this racial hierarchy. They had this inferior dark skin, they had this superior white skin, and it spread throughout Europe. And with that, It spread all the way to America. And we recently just hit our 400-year anniversary last August when the first slaves arrived. So in August 1619, at the time, it was a colony, the colony of Virginia, carrying more than 20 enslaved Africans, arrived in the United States. And with that, they had this racial hierarchy that spread. Yeah, I think what I pull out of that is there's nothing genetically biologically speaking there's nothing superior about the white race right but they they created this hierarchy to say if you have white skin if you have you know this certain pigment like if you look a certain way automatically means you are superior but if you talk about genetically biologically speaking there there is no difference like we know from the the genome project right that like we are 99.9 percent the same Mm -hmm. so it's it's you can't say one race is better than the other so yeah it makes it that more compelling that it is about power is about economics and it's about the cognitive dissonance that you talked about like we know we're doing what we're doing is wrong yes so we need to justify it and it makes me think of like how that shows up today and i think that's like the well-intentioned white people Mm -hmm. because you talked about like well yeah christianity would be good for them Mm -hmm. and living in this new land will be better for them and they'll be more civilized and all this stuff right and that, that to me, like when you're saying that, I was like, well-intentioned came to mind and, and how insidious hmm. that was, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think we do that today and say, well, well, what we're doing, deep down we know it's not right, but we justify it out of this space of, well, I'm, I'm well-intentioned, right? Yeah. Like my heart's in the right place. Right. If you weigh the two things that I'm, you know, the, the, the good and the bad, like the good outweighs the bad just by a little bit. Yeah. And, and with that too, it comes down to, I think, another very human quality of, yes, I'm well-intentioned, but I still ha- I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of my family and all. Of- it's human nature to think about like survival and thriving. Thrival, is that a word? Thri- no. Let's Thri- do it. Let's- I like <laughs> it. Survival and thrival of your own, <laughs> of your own, of yourself. And I think you're right. You can link that type of mentality from the past to today on a much larger scale, of course, where that was a time when you're having a slave trade and you're like, you know, this doesn't feel great, but I'm prospering. And you see that a lot with the founders of our country, which we're going to talk about now, like 
there were a lot of founding fathers who knew slavery was immoral, who wanted to get rid of slavery, who knew it would not last forever, but still would not make the personal sacrifice mm. for their own plantations. And I think that it's, it's important why we start at the origins of race is that it's important for us to just recognize that right away and going into it. We had to tell ourselves that this is what it was to justify it, to give ourselves power, right? So I have a question for you. This is putting you on the spot. Yes, let's but you, go. You're, you're self-proclaimed history buff. We won't edit it out if I get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Why was it Africans, people from Africa who were enslaved versus like people from India, for yeah, example? Right, right. You know, was, was there something intentional about that? Was it just, it was just like Africans were closer to yeah. Europe? I don't know the distance difference there, but yeah, is there any is there any history around why? Yeah, it that's a great. Out that way. What my understanding is is that it is the trade routes, and so mm. you have easy access from Europe to Africa, and so you have ports in Senegal was a huge port, Cote d'Ivoire was a huge port, you have Liberia was a huge port, mm. and really the access from these traders from Europe to go directly to Africa was one of the main reasons. I, I've read this book called Guns, Germs, and Steel. Yeah. Jared Diamond, I think is his name. And it explains why some civilizations have, why did Western Europe, quote unquote, advance mm. their technology and weaponry mm. and all of these things quicker than Africa? Because in a whole different world, it could have been the other way around. But because of the all of these different factors it's climate it's farming it's having ox and horse to pull your thing like all these things mm -hmm. they they made these european civilizations advance so much quicker and then you have weaponry and you have all these advancements that african tribes and civilizations did not have and so you had these powers come in as easy access and then they, they couldn't put up much of fight. That was like the primary reason as that's my understanding at least. Yeah, that that's, I, I started reading that book yeah. <laughs> and it was so thick I didn't get through it, but that was my general takeaway. And yeah, what you just said made me think at a very, very simplistic level is that people with white skin were in the right place at the right time. Right. People with dark skin were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And that's how it shook out. And it just is so... It's just so interesting, though, that that we that is the truth. Like, mm -hmm. whites didn't really do anything. weren't again aren't superior, right? right? We weren't more hardworking. We weren't smarter. We weren't anything. But right. yet, we now say we are those things. We are superior, even though again, the only reason why we I like how you put advanced in quotations, right? right? Because yeah, just because you have these certain clothes and these weapons doesn't mean you're advanced, yes, right? Right. But just because we made it that far was just because we just happened to settle in the right place well and you even take it back further than that mm. and it's not even that white people settled there it's that every human being left mm. africa and then you had human beings who went further and further north and skin color turned whiter because of mm. the climate over hundreds of thousands of years and so you think about we all came from the same place and then you put into hey, my skin got whiter because of this climate that I live in. And this climate mm -hmm. also allows me to farm in a certain way where we can stop being hunter-gatherers faster than other climates because I can now farm really well and I can provide for my community with farming instead of like, let's all be individual hunter-gatherers and go get mm -hmm. like a deer to eat. Mm -hmm. But we're growing vegetables, we're growing potatoes, and then other people, instead of being a hunter-gatherer, can start thinking about how to expand that. Can start thinking about, hey, how can our community share resources with that community? That's even more interesting if you take even a further step back. Mm -hmm. And the reason that white white people have those advantages is because, and they look like that, is because of the climate in which they live. Yeah. You know, there's really funny images coming to my mind as you're talking about this. I'm imagining like, Imagine four like decently large groups of people standing in the same place in the middle of Africa. Mm -hmm. And one group's like, I'm going to go north. 
And then other groups like, I'm going to go west. And others like, I'm going to go south. I'm going to go east. Yeah. And it's just like, they don't even know the consequences of those, those decisions. They're like, one group's like, sure, let's go this way. And yeah. they probably didn't know what north was, right? right? Like where they're heading. Yeah. But that changed the course of history. Like those people, like you said, moved to the northern area. It changed the pigment of their skin. And then, you know, white supremacy. Is right. We're going to walk through that. But like, but that group didn't know at the time, like, that was going to happen. And all they were doing is just like, let's go find a place to settle. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. You know, they weren't trying to go be a supreme race. No. Where can we survive? Where can we right. find food? Like right. The most primal things that there are. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe maybe there was even like a squabble. Maybe power even started at that point. Right. Like maybe everyone did want to go that direction. But one group was a little, you know, like be- beat them up and said, yeah. no, we're going this direction. I don't know. But yeah, like totally. it's sort of this funny image coming to mind. Like they, they had no idea that where they were going, which direction they're going yeah. to settle would change history in that way yeah and it just it allowed professions to exist in certain areas of the world faster than other so all of a sudden you have navigators coming from portugal because we you know when i say we white people right from i'm from european descent um got there faster than african colonies and it easily could have been the other way like let's Mm -hmm. say that you know they were able to have explorers they were able to get out of hunter gatherers quicker. It easily could have been the other mm-hmm. way. Yeah, and I think I do want to go back to this, the, the advancement mm-hmm. piece because I think it's really important. Because a lot of I can hear a lot of people saying, "Well, but but we are whites are superior because we did advance. Sure, we had some advantages with where we settled, but we must be better and smarter because we got all these weapons and had like made clothes." But yeah. it's sort of this idea of like that doesn't necessarily mean you're more advanced no. like that that it's just like i hear this with like technology right we have this bias to think that as we get more technologically advanced we think that all new technology is good ne- technology but that's a, that's a fallacy because some technology is is not good you know it's right. sort of like so we think like advancement equals good or more weapons equals good or or bigger houses equals good like those that doesn't equal good no right right all Um, social constructs exactly yeah Yeah. it's exactly right yeah it's it's constructed and again it's constructed by the dominant culture exactly and i'm very glad that you brought that back up the advanced quote unquote because i went to a few months ago i went to the african-american national museum in washington dc which is an amazing museum and one of the first things that they show is that some of the most advanced communities in the world were in Africa at that point as far as organization goes as far as tools as far as order like all of those things some of the most advanced in the entire world were in Africa and it's you know you can't play what ifs with history but sometimes it's it's interesting to do and what if the Europeans didn't come in and they had this different not even Mm. advanced but different way of asserting power Mm. hadn't disrupted that the African continent would be hmm. a totally different place today. And like I, I was in the Peace Corps for two and a half years and lived in Guinea, West Africa. So I got to, I read up on like a lot of the history and living there and talking. And it's just like, you can't help but feel awful that the continent has been exploited forever because of just this chance thing that the Northern societies had. Yeah, I feel like we have so much ground to cover that I, I, I want to say more about this, but... I know. Yeah. Okay. I'll let it go. You want to? I was just gonna say. You did you ever look at the like look at National Geographic's when you were a kid? Yeah. You know, and like there's so many articles. I feel like almost every National Geographic had an article that like showed pictures of Africans, Mm -hmm. and you know, and and Africans, and of course, this is this is sort of a a racist thing. What conjures what conjures up in our our mind is. Africans are like dancing around a yes. fire, but that's where the pictures are in the National Geographic, right. Right? right? They didn't show like business people going to work, yeah. you know. Yeah. But what I mean to say by that is, we and I, I did this, you know, and still probably have this bias. I look at that and say, oh, look at how uncivilized they are. Like right. we are, I'm so much more advanced than them. I live in a house. I don't live in a, a hut. Right. right. I, I wear clothes. My clothes cover my body completely. Yeah. And so this is this idea of like advancement, right? Like I think I'm more advanced, more civilized because because I, you know, live in a house and have all these clothes. But like you said, it's a socially constructed idea right. constructed by the dominant culture. And and so in reality, there's 
many ways, and it's a it's a both and, but there's many ways that they are they are more advanced than I am right. in many different ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, but my construct it in another way, and they're more advanced. Co- correct. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. And the education system does not teach it this way. So mm-hmm. that's like a whole another thing where when you think about who writes the history, yep. how is the history taught, and those images and the stere- you start to have these stereotypes yep. from the very beginning. This unconscious, you know, stereotypes of other individuals, and we'll talk more about that in this podcast too. But it's how you're taught information, how you see information, how is it portrayed, and then yep. the the history books and National Ge- Geographic. What you know? Yeah, no wonder we have this kind of distorted view of how this all came about. And there's a big push now for the education system to like update textbooks and teach it in a different way, which I think yeah. is very much needed. Is my own personal opinion. And I can't, I can't help but think that the way that these textbooks are written, what's in and what's not in them, is a way to continually justify what we did to Africans. Yeah. Photos of big cities and people in suits, you don't see that in textbooks or anything, really, when you read about Africa, right? Yeah. 99% of it is, is pictures of villages, people living in grass huts, yes. right? And so I think it's, it's meant to continue that narrative of what you said earlier is actually we're doing these people a favor because look at how uncivilized look at how they live they're eating off the ground and things like that and we socially constructed say like oh that's not good when in reality it's like there's nothing nothing bad about that at all right and so yeah the the push is great because yeah up until probably my mid-20s or 30s everything i was exposed to uh, and this isn't just africa it's other countries too yeah was was just a small tiny picture of what what it actually is yeah exactly exactly so all of this we have why race was constructed in the first place so that ideal it comes over into these colonies in the new world new world quote unquote another huge quote unquote. okay (laughs) so it comes over to the american continent and let's jump to the revolutionary war and the constitution yeah all right we're going to talk about the united states and how this race has continued so And most of us know what the Revolutionary War was all about, right? You hear taxation without representation. And we had these American colonies who defeated the greatest military in the world, like farmers. It was truly a miracle that we we won this (laughs) war, okay? I I love reading about the Revolutionary War because it is truly remarkable. The fact that this country started in the first place was a miracle and you know i'm a big george washington fan and like his leadership and the foundation slaveholder you know and like that's important we'll talk about all that of course what most people don't understand is that the united states of america didn't just all of a sudden become a country we didn't sign the treaty of paris in 1783 and it's like yes the united states exists and Mm. we have it all figured out so the Revolutionary War ends, but there was no guarantee that we were going to become a country. There was no guarantee that we were going to create this democracy. George Washington could have became a dictator or like a monarch <laughs> if he really wanted to. Like that's the greatest thing that George Washington ever did for this country, I think, is he stepped down. <laughs> he did. He was like a reluctant leader. He didn't really want to, but... He understood he was going to unify all these states. And I know I know that only because I watch Hamilton, by the way. Ah, yes, good. <laughs> That's the only Step reason why one, I know that. Hamilton. <laughs> um, and so states is where all the powers were. So we have these colonies that became states. And with that, some states had slavery. Some states did not have slavery. Some wanted it in the new United States. Some did not. So from the very beginning, there are race tensions in this country. I think a lot of people don't recognize that. So quickly, all of these new leaders just got their freedom. They are like, we need to create a constitution. And it was negotiated between the states. For two and a half years, it took all the states to sign on to the constitution. For all these states to agree to give up their like sole state right to join this federal you know, we just beat the the British, the British Empire, and now I'm going to sign on to this new empire. There was a lot of reluctance for states to join this new country. So there's a lot of negotiation that happened. And some of the biggest negotiation points are around slavery. The southern colonies were among the richest in America. Their cash crops of tobacco, indigo, rice, it all depended on slave labor. 
Remember, this is all economic. Race was created because of this economic reason. They weren't going to give it up. So as this new constitution was being created, there are three compromises regarding slavery that are really important. We're going to talk about all of them. One has to do with population. So we created three branches of government. That was a big part of this constitution. And one of them is the legislative branch. And with that, you have the Senate and Congress. And there is a big debate between a lot of states are like, it just needs to be states are equal. Like Rhode Island is like, hey, it should just be we're all even, right? Like we all should have the same amount of representatives. And and they, that's why they got the small state. Yeah, right. Because like, what are you talking they about, only, Rhode Island? They want it to be, and then like, yeah. And then like <laughs> you have Virginia who's like, no, it needs to be population based yeah. because we should have more say. That's why we have the Senate and the Congress. So we have Senate. And Rhode Island got their way, right? Like each state has equal representation. But then you have Congress where depending on your population, you get more representatives. The southern states wanted to count slaves as a part of their population because it would increase their political power. It would allow them to have more representation in Congress. The northern states said, no, you don't get to count your slaves. A lot of these northern states were against slavery. They said, you don't get to count your slaves as population. So this room full of men debated and they came to a compromise and it's called the three-fifths compromise where each slave would count as three-fifths of a person. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to like debrief on all this, but that's the first one. Number two, following that compromise, another controversy erupted. What should be done about the slave trade? So the importing of new slaves in the United States during the Revolutionary War, I mean, this is still a thriving business. You have Georgia, North and South Carolina. It's a huge business for them. So they threatened to leave the convention and they said, I'm not joining the United States if you get rid of the slave trade. So again, a room full of guys, debate forever, and they decide, all right, we'll continue the slave trade for 20 years. But then after that, the slave trade has to end. All right, so that's number two. Number three. The final major issue has to do with what I'm sure you've heard of as the Fugitive Slave Clause. The Southerners said, fine, we'll have some slave states, some not slave states, but if slave escapes from the South to the North, they can be brought back. They can be sought after, they can be brought back. So the Fugitive Slave Clause was then added and made that legal. The, the only reason that the New England states gave, gave into that is because they then got concessions on shipping and trade. More economics, right? So using this race slaves more for economic well-being for a lot of people. All right, so these are the three compromises that are made regarding slavery with the creation of our brand new democracy. It has enormous effects, of course. Fugitive Slave Clause for decades until slavery is gone with the 13th Amendment there are slaves being taken from the north back to the south and free blacks being brought to the south saying that they were slaves. This had enormous impact. The three-fifths compromise increased the south's representation and in the electoral college so much so that 12 of the first 16 presidential elections a southern slave owner won. So think of 12 of our first 16 presidents were slave owners. Think about that long-standing impact. Finally, extending the slave trade for 20 years brought in roughly in South Carolina alone 40,000 additional slaves. And then they put even more pressure on domestic slave breeding is literally what they called it. So we started this country out. We have this miracle of creating a brand new system the world has never seen. We have a brand new for the people, by the people government. The world was watching us as a huge experiment. Like, is this thing, this thing's not going to work in the, the new United States. Like, that's what the world thought. This was a revolutionary idea. And then look who it's benefiting. Look what it does to leverage the economic status of some and the slavery mm -hmm. and how slavery was embedded. And the reasoning that we need to look at these clauses and look at why race was existed is America is going to start expanding rapidly. As it rapidly expands, who is it benefiting? Who's going to get that land? Who's going to get hired into jobs? Who's going to begin generational wealth? You know, it, it's, it's not people of color. It's not black people. Slaves don't own anything. So that is 
how our country started. That is why when you ask, why is race even a factor in our society? Look at how our country started. So I got to say like 99.7% of this is new to me. Awesome. Which is, yeah, it's awesome because I get to hear this like real time from you. (laughs) The reason it's new to me is because back in high school, you know, the only thing about this part of our country in our textbooks was about two sentences. And it basically said, yeah, we kind of effed up with slavery, but we made it right. So to go through this, here's one crazy insight that I just had, like literally five seconds ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And tell me if I'm wrong on this. So you're telling me that slaveholders actually wanted enslaved Africans to to actually be treated as one, like a, a full person. Yes. Right? Because that would get them more representation. I was always under the impression that it was the slaveholders who wanted them to be three-fifths because they didn't see them or they saw them as a lesser human being. Right. But that's not the way it was. It was actually the North that wanted them to be less human but based on that number that's a that's a boom that's a mind-blowing thing because i i thought it was the completely other way around yeah isn't that and the hypocrisy (laughs) of the south because they did think they were lesser right and yet when that's the ironic guess what it comes down to power even the northern abolitionists who wanted slavery to be abolished didn't want that because it comes they didn't want slaves to be counted because it comes down to power because then the slave the southern states are going to have more representation and more power and it worked phenomenally well for the south because they they got so much so many delegates but that's what it comes down to because if you look at the southern point of view or even the northern point of view you have the north saying hey i don't want slavery to exist but don't count them as human beings because mm-hmm. that's going to be your power to grab and then mm-hmm. you have the south saying hey these are this is a lesser race okay that's why slavery is okay like we're giving them this shot and also we need to count them as our population because it'll give us more power yeah and let's not i know you're not doing this so let's not give the north too much credit they still saw oh. africans as a lesser lesser 100 percent. because all these conversations really was about power and wealth but well underlying belief this was just like a no-brainer at that time mm-hmm. like africans are or the enslaved people are less than yeah and and you're totally right about the north that's a great point to make because you had abolitionists i mean rhode island almost didn't join the country because of slavery hmm. but they were like okay well we're gonna create this country and we're gonna give you no trade benefits at all so economically they had to join so you did have some hmm. who were like hey I don't want to be a country because because of slavery, but minority, I would say, even you know, even in the north, like for sure. I think that there were not enough northerners who thought that black people were worth fighting for or to worth, hmm. you know, not creating this union. And at the end of the day, they didn't, they didn't fight that hard for them, and they gave these hmm. concessions. Next episode, we're gonna get in the Civil War. But it's like it's not like the north was this you know amazing place where blacks were equals that wasn't the case either so you're totally right to make that distinction there's a distinction between slavery as an institution versus not having slavery as an institution Mm -hmm. and that was strong but they weren't like that idea again we get back to the idea of why race was created that has been like generations into these white people even in the north you know being in maine you still have this generations of telling you that black and brown people are a lesser race it's still with you so even if you're not for slavery it's not by any means a equal rights you know yeah i think we we have this narrative of this this purity around these founding fathers again you know are white males and again that also is tied to who writes these textbooks mm-hmm. white men right mm-hmm. or at least who right. controls yeah, yeah. the publishing companies who controls the narrative right and so that's again going back to like why i don't know this and you didn't. You probably didn't know this until you started reading up about it. Maybe, maybe right, you right, did. Right. But like, as we went through our schooling, we read it from you know the side of the oppressor and those with the power and the control and those who created the construct. Yeah, and you know, in my like history nerdum, I like looking up paintings from the time. Mm. And you look at these paintings of the oh, they're hideous it, like, I'm it, sure. like, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> you look at them from these this uh constitutional convention oh, yeah. it's just packed with white men 
And you really have to look at this at the very beginning of why race was constructed. We bring it to the United States. They need it for the economy. It was morally uncertain. So they just like mm. told themselves that white men were superior. And then you have them all sitting in a room creating a country from one race mm. and one gender. Yeah. Talk and, about groupthink. Like no one's there like yeah. to say, oh, wait a minute. What about black folks? What right. about women? Yeah. Like why you know? wasn't it a room full of white women? You know, even that distinction, mm-hmm. that was, of course, a social construct. You know, the one that gets me, like you stuck, you know, you talked about um, the three-fifths rule. You talked about the South wanting it versus the North wanting it. The fact that in a room, you look at the painting, like anybody, go Google, a, you know, one of these convention paintings. They sat and debated how much a human being, uh, how much a black human being was worth. Mm-hmm. And they came up with a compromise. It was called the three-fifth compromise. So you had this compromise of these white men deciding how much a human being should count. Like That is so twisted. And if you think about starting from the beginning, white men create groupthink, like you said, created a whole society on how can we benefit. And for us today to be white men, we have to recognize that. Yeah, and I think I'm trying to put myself in their shoes and give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, I, I got to imagine talking about that number three-fifths, and yeah, I, I, I'm sure the North was like, no, it should be one-fifth. Right, yeah, right. Right, and then right. South is like five-fifths, right, or yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And obviously three is right in the middle. Right. I don't know if it went that simply, but you know, that's how it worked out. But right. at the surface level, what they're talking about is purely economic. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're, again, being well-intentioned and like, this is good for the country and like trickle down. Right. Like this might, this will trickle down to enslaved folks or something like, I don't know. But we need to pay attention to the maybe subconscious underlying conversation that's happening. And I think that's like, as white men, we need to be conscious of today. Below the surface was a conversation around the actual worth of a human being. And they weren't, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't, I don't know if they actually like outwardly were saying we should deem black people as less than human. Yeah. Right. The conversation is around around representation and money. But it just makes me think of I don't have an example off the top of my head. But how many times do we as white men have conversations that impact people of color? And at the surface, we're like, this is a good thing. Right. right? This is a good thing. This will benefit people. But below or reading in between the lines between what we're saying it's actually a very damaging thing. Yes. But we, we cover it up by saying it's well-intentioned, we're, we're in the right place, you know, that sort of thing. So I think there's a lot to learn from the conversations that they, and I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Right. You know, I'm, probably you way more than me being the history yeah. person, but like just to hear what was being said and giving, the, again, giving them the benefit of the doubt, they probably weren't explicitly saying, let's codify black people as less than human, right? It's more about, this, this debate around power, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And in doing so, that is exactly what they did, right? right? That's such a good point of the benefit of the doubt. I very much give the benefit of the doubt to people in history for the times. And it's unfair holding people in history to today's standards. And that's like a huge debate that's going on right now. I think that this is like a whole episode we could have, yeah. right? And like, and like, I think that you can make individual cases instead of saying all slaveholders in this founding fathers were bad and we shouldn't honor any of them. I don't agree with that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't agree that we shouldn't honor George Washington, for example. You know, but we have to recognize that they did own slaves. And it's something that I wrestle with, but there's so much revisionist history where you individually are saying, hey, we can't honor this guy or this guy because they own slaves or because they did this. Now, there are like bad racist people in history. Like we changed a lake here in Minneapolis from Lake Calhoun, which definitely needed to happen because that dude was racist. Like he was a leading segregationist. He was like the leading voice in the, we're jumping ahead in history here, of like the Civil War 1800s where mid-1800s were like, literally he was telling everyone like black people are less than human. Mm -hmm. I don't want to walk around a lake named after that South Carolina Senator. 
you can look at individual, you can't just take the whole time of there were slaveholders and then therefore all these founding fathers who are slaveholders are terrible people. Mm. I just can't do that. But it's it's a tough thing to know what the right thing to say is around that too. Yeah, I mean, it, it speaks to this polarized either or culture, right? Like yeah. if you if you say anything good about George Washington, then you're, you're, you get canceled. You know, there's this cancel yes. culture. Yeah. Like, okay, that must mean that you don't denounce our history that must mean you're a racist you know and on the other side of the coin you you know you have to completely denounce george washington and yeah there's a middle ground and i even think i think i don't know if we would had this conversation but i think about like what am i saying and doing now that's currently socially acceptable that won't be in 10 years so i you know perfect example is using the phrase people of color Mm -hmm. i just have this feeling in maybe even a couple months people would be like that's a really derogatory Mm -hmm phrase but here here i am here you are saying it all the time and no one's calling us on it right so there's nothing telling us that this phrase and in fact there's people in communities of color saying this is what you should say right but like in a few years from now people will be like you know that's a that's a terrible word so is it fair then for people to you know maybe 10 years down the road i'm running for you know school board or something like that and there's a video of me that surfaces of using the, the phrase people of color yes and people are like whoa you know super racist dude you know i, I don't know if that's fair right right so but but yes I, it's it, again another yes and there are people in our history that it's very fair to denounce completely yeah, right and we need to also look at like a george washington with a clear wide-eyed look right yeah. There were some good things he did and some very terrible things. Like you said, he could have, if he wanted to, made it a dictatorship. Right. But he didn't. Right. He did the right thing and the good thing yeah. and made it a democracy and, and stepped down and like chose the way of a servant leader, right? Like, that's great. We gotta give him credit for that. But at the same time, there's also things he didn't do well. This is something I've thought a lot about. You look at our history and how the history started. Like George Washington, you could do it with individuals, you could do it with our country, you could make a list of Greats and not great. Mm -hmm. And greats is like freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom Mm -hmm. of religion, representation for for the people. Like the people can vote. Like all this stuff was so revolutionary at the time. Yeah. Awesome. Like worth fighting for today. And then you have the list of, you know, we had slavery. We, I mean, we haven't even talked about Native American people. Mm. And you talk about... A whole nother set of justifying taking land and same thing like justifying it by saying they're they would benefit from society they would benefit from christianity they live a savage life like that's what they always said at the mm. time was the savages right yeah that's a whole nother thing so there you have this list of really good really bad i think that the united states throughout history is both of those things. And then you have the word patriot, right? And <laughs> patriotism. What do you think of when you hear the word patriotism? I cringed a little. And I'm just trying to like think about why I cringe. I mean, I, I liken it to this blind faith and adherence in to to this country and everything it is. And, and I mean, I say blind, and I'm sorry for using the the... Uh, the term it's the wrong it's the wrong word for it but i use that word because it's like people i think about a patriot a patriot a patriotism as turning a blind eye completely to all the negative things about our country mm-hmm. so i say that with the caveat that like this is my biased opinion and this is the opinion that i've de- really kind of developed and through like confirmation bias just like made it even more solid and at the same time i think you know i've said earlier that like i I see patriotism as also being very critical of your country. Yes. Right? And I, yeah. I totally agree with you on that. I think one, one thing that I think needs should be said, though, is from... Now I'm going to hesitate every time I use this <laughs> phrase now because maybe in 10 years this will be a bad phrase, but people of color mm-hmm. look at this country, I think, pretty unanimously and say it's never been great. Right, yeah. Right? right. And, and and they're right. Yeah. For, from their perspective, it's never been great. Right. They're like, I don't care that George Washington chose to be a servant leader. I don't care about yes. how great of a leader he was. Screw that. 
I this has been a terrible experience for for my race of people from yes. the very beginning. And so I just want to acknowledge that like it's a little easier for us as white men to like look at someone like George Washington and say like oh, he had some good qualities. Yeah. See more positives right? about the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And objectively, sure, yeah, he had some good qualities. But from a person of color point of view, it's a much different look. Like totally. Because he he also had his he also could have done done some things that changed the course of history completely to the point where people of color actually would have had a good experience in this country. Yeah, right. But he chose not to do it. So, you know, and I wasn't in his head. I don't know if he actually, like, stopped and thought, like, maybe I should do this. And then he chose not to. I have no idea. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a very different perspective Yeah, being is. a white male, you know. And you struck what I've been thinking about a lot is being patriotic is being critical on your country. I read or heard, I don't know where it was. I wish I could remember so I could give credit. But they said, you can't cherry pick history. Mm. And I think that's what, that's what our history yes. books have done a super good job of. And to be patriotic, you know, there we have these underlying really important things that evolved society, like democracy. But the laundry list of things that we did not do well, and not even just slavery, like sponsored coups and some wars that you know you wish depending on how you feel and women I couldn't vote it didn't happen yeah women, women can, can vote till the 1920s 20s dude we're gonna talk about that in a whole Ooh. episode can you believe that that's like a whole another thing we'll talk about there's people still a lot like my grand my yeah. grandpa's still alive yeah 1920 not 1820 and he went through yeah right he was there when like that was part yeah it's so. unbelievable um yeah so all of those things i'm not proud of but if you want to be patriotic you have to look at your whole country, the good, the bad, what worked well, what didn't work well, what was really good, what did we totally mess up? And then you get to a point where you're like, all right, you know what? I know what I want to fight for. I know what I want to make better. I mean, this is why you and I are doing this and why we, you know, our careers have kind of started the way they have is like, for me, I was like, wow, I need to the history of our race relations and how we suppressed people of color and slavery and black. Like, I just have to do something about it. And I want to make my country better. And I want to create systems that are more equitable. And I want to have more women and more people of color as representatives, as business leaders, as all these things. And the reasoning that I get to that is because I don't cherry pick history. And a lot of let's say white men are cherry picking history because as a white man, to your point, it's really easy to do. There's a lot in our history that is pretty great if you're coming from the perspective of a white man. But if you don't look at it, that's where you can maybe be like, hey, you know, DEI initiatives at this company or for these representatives is pushing me down then. Like I can't, you know, I feel like it's, the whole reverse racism thing, right? Like that is not possible, by the way. We'll, we'll talk about that yeah. later too. But like the idea of reverse racism, which is literally what some white men think exists. If you understand your whole country, you understand why that stuff is needed. And you understand like why we need to raise more voices or support more voices and get behind more voices. And and it becomes less of a defensive thing. Yeah, because it's all about lo- lo- losing power. Right. Right. And that's where that defensiveness comes from. Because if we if we flip the script and we, you know, more affirmative, more affirmative action means I don't get the same opportunity to either get this job as someone else. Mm-hmm. And that that feels unjust. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love the saying that, like, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And I think that happens so much because if, if, you know, you and I and our and white men have been privileged and continue to be right for the, our, the, the whole founding of our country and all the way through to now that it's become normalized. Right. Right. And so now all of a sudden when when we start to lose power that we're and that loss of power is moving towards equality. Yeah. But it doesn't feel that way. It feels yeah. like oppression. And then there's this other thing that's just hard to deal with is that like and this is when, you know, when, when the reparations comes up. And people are like, well, I, I'm not responsible for our history, right? Yeah. So how do you like how do you reconcile that to say like, well, this person of color is getting the job over me because of what people hundreds of years ago did. Not right. I, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. So why do I need to suffer for that? Right. Or why do I need to be passed over? But again, then it comes back to like fragility and like self worth, right? Yeah. Like, I think you and I feel 
some would feel somewhat com- i mean i don't know i mean if i'm c- completely honest if that happened to me i'd feel a little i'd feel a little bit of like oh that yeah. that sucks but consciously i'd be like that's the right thing right right you know i'm bummed like right. i can't deny that i yep but that's because we understand the history right, right? we understand the history and, and why this is happening we understand the why behind something like affirmative action yeah. and then it makes sense in us because then it doesn't feel like oppression it feels like equality yes. And so, yeah, of course, anyone would be bummed. But then at the end of the day, we're like, but th- that makes sense. And that's the right thing. I think even subconsciously today, it's still about having that power. And if we give that up or losing that that power, and it's, yep. I wonder if that's like biological, you know, if that's like DNA, like we've just, it's crazy what human beings do for evolution. And like, have we as white men had power long enough where we mm. have evolved that like we- Like a power like, gene. Yeah, like it's like, <laughs> like, like we like would need- it and if we don't have it yeah. it is like doesn't sit well i don't know i've never thought about that before yeah i, I mean it sounds like another great hypothesis so we should explore <laughs> <laughs> i think that you know in this episode we have a really good start like we have a good base as to starting about why race is a factor in our society today and then when we created this society we created it from the voice of one gender and one race, and that's white men like you and me. We weren't in the room, but let's start to just recognize that. And if we want to see change eventually today, we need to have that base moving forward. Yeah, we weren't in that room, but we are in rooms today. Yes, right. 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 And I think it. I think it's unfair to like. I think we 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 weigh what happened back then to compare to now in an unfair way. We yeah. think like. You know, what you and I are doing and talking about today, that doesn't have the same consequences like when they were in that room making decisions. I think it's a little unfair to like say like, oh, well, what we do now has fewer consequences. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't want to like rest on that. And I think I want to, you know, what I take away from this, you know, every conversation and decision we make can have very important consequences either way. Right. And I think, again, you know, it's what is what is the underlying conversation we're having? Yeah. Or what's 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 happening beneath the surface when we're talking and making decisions? It may feel and sound good and well-intentioned on the surface, but we really need to dig deeper and be like, is this actually really good? Right. And are and who's in the room too, right? Yeah. Like even today, you'll look in boardrooms and it's like pretty much all white men, yeah, right? right? Um, I mean, it's definitely more diverse now, but it's like okay, you'd think that what how long are we i don't even know how long we've been a country 300 years whatever uh, 300 some years yeah if you say it, 1776 oh yeah fifty years yeah like you think like you think we'd be way more diverse than we are now but yeah. we're not right right i mean yeah there's change but still we got a long way to go right. and we're still pretty like homogenous and have a lot of group things in, in those boardrooms or yeah. whatever and i think that's a good place to end because we are going to next episode continue to connect the dots to today and why is change so slow so sounds, i'll talk to you i'll talk to you next time good yeah i'll talk yeah <laughs> sounds depressing good, and yeah, good. yeah okay. but good thank you for listening to the modern white man please follow us on twitter at the modern white man for updates on new episodes and please feel free to shoot us a note with questions or thoughts for future episodes As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share, both individually and on social media. That's how we get the most traction. After all, the more white men that have these conversations, the better.